Swing Pass. It's Thursday, July 15th. I'm Adam Ruffner, and I'm joined once again, as always, even though he likes to talk about it like he isn't the host on this podcast, Daniel Cohen. Daniel, how's it going? It's going good. Uh, glad to be back. Second time this week. I'm, I'm excited to preview this weekend's games. You're doing Got a lot of good ones. Again. You're saying it like this. You're like walking into your own apartment and saying, thanks for having me over. Yeah, I'm just saying it's good of you to have me on this podcast. I appreciate the opportunity to talk. All right. We need to just probably get into week seven action then. Week seven starts tomorrow. Uh, There's two games going on. There's Philadelphia and Atlanta. Atlanta is traveling to Philadelphia. Uh, That's a low-key great game, I think, uh, given how well the Phoenix played the hustle two weeks ago now, three weeks ago now um, in Atlanta. And then we've got Friday Night Ultimate on DraftKings, YouTube and Twitch, uh, Dallas at Seattle. What do you think about this uh, Dallas at Seattle matchup? It's funny, I'm just now sitting down to write the game preview for this game. And yeah, I mean, the Cascades at home this year, they've first of all, they've looked way better at home than on the road. They've gone two and one. Uh, in those home games, and the one loss came to San Diego in overtime. Uh, but just most fresh in my mind is the last Cascades home game we saw was when they took on Austin, and they won 28-24. to They scored 10 goals in that fourth quarter. I think we really saw the full potential of their young D-line kind of come to fruition in that game. But it was a very different game than we saw when Seattle traveled to Dallas, whatever it was, two weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they only put up 16. They lost 24 to 16. It was never really close. So it really feels like Seattle, you know, they're they're this young, young, energized team, but kind of only when things are going in their favor. And I think the home field advantage really could make a difference, uh, even though I think Dallas still on paper, probably has a better roster. So it's kind of a, it's an interesting battle. Um, it should be a really fun one to watch. Yeah, I think Seattle always kind of supercharges when they play at home. Um, they will be without, it looks like, two of their bigger throwers in Mark Burton and Ben Snell. Ben Snell, of course, having that breakout game against Austin in the Cascades last home game. I think he had something like, 700 yards of total offense him and Manny Eckert just went off they were kind of yeah. putting on a two-man show on mm-hmm. offense um Eckert is slated to be in the lineup tomorrow night but he's gonna need some help do you do you have any ideas for how Seattle can come out and keep that rhythm that they have at home on offense yeah I don't know it'll be interesting because yeah we actually haven't yet seen Manny Eckert by himself, you know, without Mark Burton, without Ben Snell in any game this season. He's always had at least one of those guys by his side. I mean, yeah, looking at their roster, it does seem to be lacking handlers. And he's not even like a pure handler himself. Um, I think we'll see a lot of a lot more Mark Munoz on offense. Um, and then, you know, they have Brad Hauser in the lineup as of right now. I, I don't think he's in the backfield much, but just having another downfield threat where maybe they they kind of station Manny more in the backfield uh, and allow him to throw downfield a little bit more. But yeah, I don't know. I could see them struggling, uh, but also, 
you know, last time Manny played at home, that was the the breakout game, like you said, with Ben Snell. Um, so he's definitely shown to have a pretty high ceiling. It's just, you know, what what version do we get? And is he affected by the, the lack of throwers that seem to be in this Cascades lineup right now? And then on the flip side for Dallas, they seem to be bringing a very strong travel roster. They've got Frude back in the lineup. Kaplan Maurer is back, who wasn't in the lineup this past weekend for that Austin doubleheader at home in Dallas. Um, he's been a huge part of the Roughnecks offense this year after years playing on their defensive lines. Um, what do you expect from the Roughnecks going into this pivotal? I mean, at, their season hinges on this road trip weekend at Seattle on Friday night and then in San Jose the following day. Um, what do you what do you kind of expect from this Roughnecks team going into week seven? Man, it's so hard to know. I mean, yes, this roster definitely looks like one of the better rosters they're bringing all season. But, you know, there's just that lack of consistency week to week where, you know, maybe they're not developing chemistry as fast as they could be. So, like, there's always going to be questions there. I do think, I mean, if I had to pick a winner right now, I'm going to take Dallas to beat Seattle. I think they they could win by at least three somewhat easily but again this is just kind of looking at the names and and not taking maybe enough into account perhaps the lack of chemistry and the home field advantage for Seattle so I think it's going to be a closer game than people think but I still do side with just the raw talent on Dallas's roster I mean I think they definitely struggled against Austin last week without so many of these guys I mean Maurer was out Connor Olsen was out uh, just to name a couple but you know, it, it feels like they they could have dominated the Austin Soul had they had a, a more full lineup, uh, and it does seem like they are they're having a much more put together roster this week. So I'd be optimistic for for Dallas fans, but like I said, I, I think you can never take these road games for granted, and I think the Seattle home crowd is is one. It's up there, especially in the West Division, uh, and they that team is just going to rally if they get rolling. So it should be fun. I don't know. I mean, how do you feel like Dallas, how do you feel like they did against San Diego, you know, on that first road trip they took? I think despite the circumstances of their late arrival on Friday, they actually played pretty well. Um, Obviously that a big part of that was Chris Mazur and he's not going to be in the lineup this weekend, but I Mm -hmm. definitely think that with the return of Henry Feruda and Maurer slotting in again on offense after he wasn't again playing in week six. Um, there, I, I expect a big return to form for Dallas. I think that they're one of those teams where having their back against the wall is really going to trigger, I think, some of the better performances from some of the star players on this team. Um, you know, it's just insane to think that they're this close to almost being like bounced from the playoff right (laughs) it is yeah like Um, this is a make or break weekend it really feels that way and so I just it's kind of one of those things where I I almost expect a statement game tomorrow night against Seattle I could see Dallas winning that kind of going away by five or more goals um I I think 
there's been this sense of jitters and whatever else and some injuries and just lack of consistency. But you look at the names in the lineup tomorrow night and it's really kind of their like third or fourth or fifth game altogether. And I expect some of that cohesion that you see taking place in other places like in Minnesota and Madison and D.C., maybe finally Mm -hmm. starting to settle into this Dallas team that, frankly, from what I heard from reports, wasn't practicing too much as a unit in the preseason. And so some of this inconsistency week to week, I think, is a little expected. But I think that maybe ends right now. Yeah, I could see it. Um, Shifting over to the San Jose game, do you think they'll have an easier time, a more difficult time playing in San Jose. Man, it is the second game of a doubleheader, of course. Uh, but I feel like San Jose and Seattle are such similar teams. At least I I view them that way. Um, so it's hard to know. I think, I, I think individually, I like the players on San Jose a little bit better. It feels like they, they kind of have a little more punch to them, some more impact rookies. But yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Do you think that... It matters that it's the second game of a back-to-back. How much? Of course. Um, although we've seen a lot of teams come out and play pretty well on the second game of a back-to-back, especially offensively. Uh, Madison, to name one. Um, Philly, a couple weeks ago against Atlanta, they they lost, but they played really well. Even last week, uh, they bounced back after their loss against New York and rallied yeah. Boston on the road. It's um, a big win. So- so I think sometimes if you're playing two games in a weekend, you can kind of carry that re- momentum. Um, I think that the San Jose-Dallas first ever matchup is going to be really interesting. I think San Jose has had one of the weirder starts to the season, and they frankly have they've played the fewest games of anybody. Um, they've played in really windy and adverse conditions, uh, but they have this glimmer of potential that I think could make them a very strong monkey wrench in the West. And I wonder if that reveals itself this weekend. You know, like they have the potential rookie of the year in Jordan Kerr. He's playing really, really well right now in that offense, kind of uh, building off of who is essentially the rookie of the year in 2019, Keenan Lawrence, who also looks to be playing at a really high energy level in 2021. Um, They've got this rookie this year, Jace Brunner, who's been playing really well for their D-line. They've got a couple really nice throwers in Sawyer Thompson. Mark Lynn's going to be back in the lineup, it looks like, this weekend. And he was fantastic playing at Seattle in, I believe, week two or three. Um, Andrew Moore, a longtime veteran for this Spiders team, usually a defender in coverage. He's been slotting more as a receiver uh, and been like the A1 target for Justin Norton. And mm-hmm. they've had a terrific pairing so far this year. So... I think there's a lot of pieces to like on the Spiders, and I'm really interested to see. For the Spiders so far in 2021, it hasn't so much felt like whatever their talent does. It literally is what it does their first quarter look like. Because there are times (laughs) where they just come out and they look terrible. Ah, the Spiders. Was that game against San Diego where they had like four turnovers in the first five possessions and they were all just like turf discs on a centering pass or like a drop, you know, like, on a yeah, they game. definitely they feel they, the, they go through yeah. some weird stretches, but then they also they do they, you know, for parts of that game, they also played San Diego straight up at times. Um, and they have some really nice young players on this roster that, that still haven't quite 
I think found a consistency in their lineup or whatever. But as we go towards this midseason part, you're starting to see more and more of that. Again, I hate to use Madison as as an example, but the rookies on that team are gelling and it's really making a difference. And so San Jose could be one of those teams too, where all of a sudden they kind of, you know, reform like Voltron and kind of become the sum is greater than the parts team where maybe you don't know all these names, but they're really playing at like an increased level. Um, I don't know. I I could see it. I mean, they are, they are one of those teams that have a really nice mix of rookies and vets. And like you said, in San Diego or against San Diego at home, they did have that really rough stretch. And I think that's just kind of part of the growing pains of having such a young team and so many, you know, potentially uh, really good rookies, like they're going to make mistakes, uh, but they are, I, I agree with you. I can see them kind of making that, that Madison like uh, jump to, to more, to becoming a more full team and a more consistent team. I do think that uh, Jordan Kerr is the rookie of the year. And I think he is really kind of developed immediately into like an every, you know, O-line starter, impact player on every point, whatever you want to call it. Um, but then they also got guys like Jake Thorne you didn't mention, Jacob Miller. Wait, I was a, Jake Thorne was on the tip of my tongue. I was waiting for an opportunity. He looks almost as good as Kerr. He's been really Yeah, good. like they, they've all shined at different times. I'm a huge Jace Brunner fan, by the way. I think he's, oh, yeah. he's like the classic defensive spark plug for this team. Yeah, like uh, so yeah, I, he's just blitzing around the field at like sonic speed half the time. Yeah, he's like, super fun to watch. So yeah, I I think they're they're definitely a fun team. I mean, them in Seattle both really. Um, but yeah, yeah, I I do think San Jose could definitely have more of an advantage than we might think uh, with Dallas. You know, having just played the day before, and also this is Dallas's. It'll have been Dallas's fourth game in a week right because they played two yeah. back-to-back last week back-to-back this week but it's a lot of games lot of new pieces into the lineup this week like there wasn't a fruit they last do week. like i said like no mauer was yeah, uh yeah was connor olsen active in week six he I wasn't no. yeah so uh hunter taylor who's been really good for them in a yeah. couple of games this year he uh so they're not i, I would like pump the brakes a little bit on saying that they might be experiencing fatigue. I hear what you're saying, but yeah, they, no, you're right. They can use the reps. I think <laughs> <laughs> they like, could. Yeah. I, I do think this is, this is kind of the time. This is the time they kind of have to hit their stride, right? Like they kind of are forced into this position back against the wall. Like now is the time to finally build up that chemistry, start fielding more consistent rosters. Like it's only going to, benefit them going forward right so do you want to kind of transfer away from the west division and start talking about the thickest playoff race well i don't know anymore now with the central going all sideways but it's all crazy what what was (laughs) the deepest playoff race in the atlantic um you've got the rematch of dc atlanta do you expect anything different there or do you kind of see a similar result with dc able to apply pressure and edging out so i don't think atlanta's offense is going to look as bad as they did last week but i do think 
DC's defense is legit and should hold Atlanta under 20 goals again. And part of that is also just the the possession-based offense that they play too. And they they really uh, manage time of possession super well. And I feel like they they outpossess their opponent in every single game. And, and just because they have such an efficient offense and are converting so many of those points, it just doesn't allow the other team to get in much of a rhythm. So I, I do think DC's got this one again. Uh, if they can beat Atlanta in Atlanta by five, I have pretty good confidence in them. They, could, they can keep things going at home. But yeah, I think Atlanta has more of a chance this week to make it a game just because I think they're their offensive performance was notably bad last week. Like you just had guys never getting in rhythm, just throwing things away and making bad decisions that didn't feel like normal for that O-line. And I also think maybe punching in a few more break opportunities this game too is, is possible for Atlanta, but you know, I would take DC by two or three goals uh, pretty confidently. Does it change your opinion at all? If AJ Merriman is to sit out with an injury? Oh, is he hurt? What's he's the scoop? Listed as, he's listed as uh, injured on the roster doc right now. I mean, it you know those things can change as we approach game time, but right yeah, now, he's highlighted as having an injury. I mean, he is he's definitely you know that that classic X factor type player on defense, and he's been really really impressive, uh, almost quarterbacking the majority of. D-line possessions uh, after turnovers. But, you know, he had five blocks against Atlanta, although four of them were kind of thrown right to him. He had a few throwaways also. So I think he is still a little bit up and down to the point that I I don't feel like his absence would necessarily be a huge deal. But they're they're definitely going to be more limited uh, punching in those break opportunities without him. But, you know, I, I've got confidence in guys like David Bloodgood and Shields to, to lead the counterattack just fine. Yeah, I mean, you're losing your top takeaway defender and you're expecting Atlanta to have another 20-plus turnover night. You you don't think Atlanta is a little disappointed in their performance the other, the other night? I, I mean, I don't know. It just... I think of the, I think of the DC defense as way more, way more of like a team defense than any individual. You know, like the Bergeron brothers. I mean, uh, Ben Green coming alive. It's a matchup sport, Daniel. You can't just say like it's a it's a team defense. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but it absolutely matters when you when you skew matchups down one notch like that. Yeah, big. That's a big deal. It can be. It can be, especially with the amount of, of offensive pieces that Atlanta has. But I don't know. To me, it, it just it didn't feel like AJ was necessarily driving their success last week. Um, and like I mentioned, the three throwaways like those obviously did not help anything. Nothing against him. I like the high risk, high rewardness of his play. But, you know, I, I still think DC is just the better all around team. And I think they're playing the best ultimate of any team right now. So I wouldn't, I've got confidence in them. I'm just trying to complicate the matchup by saying, does it make any difference if you, yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a valid question. 
Because because I, I don't think I think the five goal finish was a little bit of a mirage. I think it it felt more like a two to three goal game for most of the game. Yeah, um, I mean Atlanta was. I think they started there. They had the first goal of the fourth quarter, and I think that brought them within three. So yeah, it never really felt like they were out of it, um, but, but just couldn't really finish. Well, and it also didn't feel like Atlanta did any of their normal adjustments. It really felt like they kind of got stuck behind and were throttled there. Um, yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what adjustments you make, really. Like, right. DC just, they just what? didn't seem to struggle with anything. Like, obviously, person defense wasn't really doing much in the zone. I mean, they're they're as patient as ever on offense. So it's it's really tough. I don't know what Miranda has in store for this week, but... You know, with another week to game plan, you know, correcting mistakes from last week, I, I do expect this to be a closer game. Uh, at least I, I think it should be than it was last week, but we'll see. Yeah. I do also see on the hustle roster, Parker Bray and Tyler Kunza are listed as right. injured as well. Yeah. So. No, I was I was gonna say I'm almost more worried about Atlanta's defense even playing as good of a game as they did against DC's offense. It kind of almost feels like yeah, you know, you're saying Atlanta's defense gets another chance to adapt to DC's O. I almost think it's better for DC's O to get more reps against Atlanta's defense. I think that they <laughs> right, you could you could look at it either way, even more sure. into a groove. Like that's kind of how this team works is that yeah, you give them more practice or reps against a unit and they just figure out more ways to beat it. This whole Breeze offense is just solution oriented. You know, they just kind of go around the field solving different little trap rooms. Um Yeah. In your opinion, are these the two best coach teams in the league? This season? So far, yeah. I would say so. I would say Atlanta's yeah. performing a little bit above expected value, and I would say DC is obviously just cruising right now. Um, you know, we're still at a point where I think a lot of teams are adapting. Obviously, again, a little bit of a bias, but Madison deserves recognition <laughs> here. All of a sudden, they're 5-3. Yeah, Minnesota is 5-1 and one and really seem to be rounding into some of their best ultimate of the season at the right time um i really like some of the adjustments that coach feldman and that staff have been making to their lineups little tweaks here and there slotting in uh andrew roy occasionally on defense to help lead drives i think is pairing him with matsuka has been really really great um just showing an adaptability to mutate little bits and pieces of different lineups depending on what opponents are throwing at them and yeah, I think Minnesota also deserves to be in that conversation, but I digress. Yeah, I think Atlanta and DC are the top top in the league right now for coaching. You mentioned moving Andrew Roy over to D-line. Do you think Atlanta could be doing more of that, moving some of their offensive pieces over to D-line? I mean, obviously, they've like Christian Olsen, I think, has mostly played D-line this season and has historically been a primary O-line player. Um, but I don't know. Do you think, I mean, they, they converted three of eight breaks against DC last week. Do you think they could benefit from the occasional move? It felt like before this year, they did do a lot more crossing people over, uh, and, and had less set D lines and O lines, but I guess in 2019, they started trending towards a more, more traditional set, um, pair of lines. Yeah, I, 
I don't know. I think I think you get into a weird realm if you don't have the specifically kind of right player who can balance going between lines like that. Like I, I really think mm-hmm. it comes down to who are we talking about individually here? Because um, it, it's really hard to play both ways. I, I think we kind of take that for granted. I think, you know, it, it. we almost think of it as like a video game substitution. Like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll put Andrew Roy in the defense because he's a great handler and it'll just work out that way. And it, like the fact that it yeah. does work out as well as you would maybe simulate it doesn't mean that that like applies evenly. And I think Atlanta, for as good as they are, I, I think that they have a little bit of an issue with that. Um I would almost argue in the reverse, given how their all offense has struggled. I would almost like to see a couple of their defensive players come over, specifically mm, uh, yeah. Mike Bailey. I think I would like to see a little bit more of him on the offense. He's just such a steady player um, wherever you put him, and he's very good with the disc. He's he's big, and he uses his body very effectively around the field at different positions uh, to kind of lend to that consistency with the disc and being such a possession oriented player um i just think they need someone like him especially with bray out feels kind of like it's an opportunity for them to maybe try a new piece and see if they can find a little bit more of a rhythm offensively but obviously i'm just a dude talking into a microphone i'm vastly out of my depth when it comes to you know making these kinds of adjustments no i'm totally serious like no, it, you're right. It's yeah. one thing. I it's one too. thing to sit up and watch a lot of video from a 50 cam at the 50 yard line. It is a totally different thing to see the game at field level and like really get into the trenches as to what happens in those individual matchups. Like I'm always in awe when I get opportunities to get down to the field and like really see and and like feel what goes on between certain players. There, it's 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 really cool. Um, yeah. Uh, for the record, I'm I'm also a huge fan of Fairly. It, it feels like he's kind of been their most consistent player this season, dare he's I say. Like a, he's made a clutch play in almost every single one of their wins. Yeah, it just he, feels like he's he's come through every time they need someone to come through. And I don't know, he had like a, a nice hand block against DC. I, I feel like he's always in the right place at the right time. It's hard. It's hard taking him off of a defense. Let's be clear. He's terrific yeah, 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 yeah. defender, and he's exactly who you'd want to pair with, like an Olsen leading the counterattack. And they've looked great at times leading they the have. counterattack. Um, I'm just thinking about it in terms of well, since the offense continues to be kind of the point where everyone can identify as being where the team is struggling, I, I, you know, you just you start to wonder like if you want to experiment with that but again like it's easy for us to sit here and act like it's as simple as like a video game substitution uh but of course you know like these dudes have been practicing on these lineups throughout the entire spring and just like Mm -hmm. switching them back over is is really hard (laughs) yeah that's a good good adl video game plug by the way (laughs) right uh, when's that coming? Gonna I'm gonna dominate people in that. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna take it's that gonna be way, really fun. way competitively. We could do a a podcast dedicated to our our video game strategy. It's gonna be so much ADL fun. 2022. It's gonna be so much fun to figure out what players you can just like cheese with. Like yeah. like if 
Henry Fisher, Ben Yad is just like absolutely broken in the game. Like I have to think that Osgar, the Osgar Yad combo is going to be a, a favorite of people. Or, or like conversely, like there's just really good players, but they, they don't translate over to video games at all. I, I feel yeah. like Matsuka would be that. Matsuka would just be like, <laughs> I could see that. He yeah. would be like seventies in all sorts of the categories and and then like it's 99 and like awareness and push pass and offhand throw and like Uh, that one that one push pass he had uh just this past week in indy was beautiful just like right on the goal line it's so hesitation how easily it comes out of his hand like it had velocity too he zipped it in there i know it was a tight window it's a five yard little puck pass like it's yeah uh, it's so good, but like, can you imagine? It's it's one of those things where you can see it though. It's like just having like a hundred and forty pound dude just shred you and then push pass in the break <laughs> score has to be so demoralizing. Oh yeah, yeah. That's part of why their D line has had so much so much success. They're just constantly demoralizing opponents okay you keep like nibbling at the corners should we just talk about minnesota i mean i feel like minnesota <laughs> minnesota has all of a sudden just emerged from chicago's rubble of this past I week know. to kind it's of so be weird. like oh they're they're pretty nice like they're and you look at the lineup and it's it's solid like it really is lineup. where's their weakness like in your opinion where where is their biggest weakness right now because i i honestly don't know so I just got to say, if if Brandon Mattis, who's the captain on Minnesota, shout out him. He's great. Uh, but I've been pushing him for years to get in Vivon's ear and say, go over to D-line <laughs> and lead the defensive attack. Because the, the offense is so good. It's so deep. And it always is every year that part of the problem almost seems to be an embarrassment of riches and getting enough guys in for good rotations. Mm-hmm. And just... Vanuka is such a good defender too that like putting him on the team's the opponent's best player and then skewing the rest of those matchups down a notch is great for this team. Like having McCutcheon or a Jordan Taylor or a Colin Barry or a Dylan DeClerc get like one more <laughs> notch lower on on their matchup chain. It's so many good play. matchup like, defenders. It's right. Nuts. And and so it's just kind of like I I see so many teams stack up on offense and I've just wanted to one time see a team truly stack up a defense and see what happens. Just just let your absolute best players who would, you would maybe even put on offense just turn them into dogs and have them go chase on defense and see see what happens. And, and it just kind of feels like Minnesota is starting to do that at the edges with the Vanuka switch and having Matsuka over there sometimes and having Andrew Roy over there sometimes. Like, they, it's just... It's because they can, though. I mean, they just right, have... Right. They have so right. many good players to slot into offense. Right. Um, and Nick Nick Vogt yeah. has really been coming on in recent weeks. Uh, He's been him, great. Him and Cole Yurick and like un- maybe most underrated player in the league, Charles Weinberg. Charles Weinberg has been playing phenomenally downfield and kind he of has continuation shooter role. Um, him, Yurick, and uh, Vote are looking very good. And then uh, and the Rocco, 
I was about to say the guy that I tweet about who kind of has really reaped the reward of Vanuka switch to defense, Rocco Linehan, uh, a rookie. He probably deserves to be on the all rookie list too. Like, yeah, about a 600 plus yard receiving weekend in two games. Uh, he was. He's a really a really versatile hybrid. I feel like he's he's kind of their most versatile on that line. It feels like they can he can hang back with the handlers. He can get downfield. Uh, he definitely has that that Venuka type role uh, he since a, he switched over. He has a Swiss Army knife flick in that, like, I think he can put about sixty yards on it if he wants to. But they really utilize him in like red zone opportunities, and he does all these. I call them dumb endearingly, but they're like high <laughs> release blade shots across the field, like as soon yeah, yeah. as it, like he's. He's not even, there was one time, I think against, it was against Detroit, but like he wasn't even looking at the receiver. He just listened and like shot this cross field dart for the assist. Yep. Like Saw he kind of, he kind of tries to wrong foot defenders. He like does back shoulder throws very quickly around the goal line. Yeah. He's, he's really interesting and kind of alongside, um, Andrew Roy and Josh Klain, who are obviously just anchors in that backfield as throwers, uh, adds a really nice, like, complimentary piece. Like, it it reminds me of what they had with Cam Burden in 2019, kind of a... Yeah, you're right. It is kind shooter. of that. It's a very oh. similar Cam Burden role. And, yeah, I and guess... I, I'm I almost being to mention the other person in the backfield because again they're just spoiled with throwers this year with the emergence <laughs> of these rookies. Tony Paletto, who has looked really good in the past, like I think in 2018 or something, he completed 500 plus throws at like 95 percent clip. Uh, this year he's playing off his mind. He's yes. averaging like 40 plus completions a game at 97 percent, and I think he's in the top 10 in assists. Um, and he's super aggressive, has all sorts of quirky scubers, running throws, throw and grow stuff. Him and Roy have just looked diabolical in that backfield together, kind of doing all these dishy little give and goes and things. I don't know. Yeah, it's honestly, it's been pretty similar to the DC offense, right? Yeah. Like it's very... Oh, okay. hand- Thank you. I, I was trying to kind of okay. put them side by side. That's so great that you were reading my mind there. Yeah, that, well, that I that kind of popped into my head earlier today. I was just thinking about it. Like, they're both very, very handler-driven. They all kind of have this creative throwing skill set where they'll, you you know, want they'll me to, pop up little scoopers. Yeah, do you want sorry, me to blow this wide open for you? Uh, Andrew Roy and Gus Nor- or Zach Norbaum are good friends. So, no. Yeah. What? Yeah, I don't believe it. So, How? Why? I don't know. They both. I think Andrew Roy's from East Coast schools or something. Uh, but yeah, I mean, doesn't it make sense now? Can't you see it? Can't you see kind of the, <laughs> the the trickster throw angle of it all? Yeah. Wow. They are very similar teams too, because DC also has a lot of really good matchup defenders. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Minnesota is just the DC of the Central, and they're both on very high winning streaks right now. Minnesota's won four straight. DC's won five. They both knocked off undefeated teams. Well, I guess Minnesota, Chicago 
you know, got knocked off or got derailed from their undefeated season by Madison first. But yeah, a lot of similarities. Uh, both very fun offenses to watch and, and very efficient. Also, both AMP. completing so many passes per game. I think both of them are averaging, you know, at least 300 completions per game, something like that. Number one, number two in the league. Yeah, they are. Uh, a lot of parallels. Yeah. Minnesota's number one, 335, and actually there's 30 passes a game above D.C. What's really confusing is that here are the teams immediately after them in throws per game. Uh, Detroit, Indianapolis, Austin, Madison, Boston, Philadelphia. So good luck figuring out if there's any correlation between completions per game as a team and and winning. Because... There's two five and one teams right at the top, and that immediately goes to zero and six and two and five. Yeah, yeah. It really, <laughs> it's really team. not. It's not telling at all. I mean, when you think about it, like if you think of a team, if I t- if I tell you a team is completing three hundred throws per game, and then I tell you another team is completing two hundred throws per game, it really gives you no indication whatsoever of how good they are. Right. Right. I mean, I would say I would say the 200 completion per game team. Honestly, that that's kind of like almost too low of a mark, where it feels like they're just that's extremely really, efficient. That's really <laughs> shooting, and that's Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah, is yeah, yeah. We get 209 completions a game, and you can see this past weekend how it really has its limitations. And, and it does. Looking yeah. looking at all of the the teams at the bottom of completions per game, there are very few wins. There's there's kind of Atlanta and New York as the exceptions, and then it's a lot of Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, Seattle teams that are are very are multiple games below five hundred in twenty twenty one. So yeah, I don't <laughs> it's kinda like depends on your personnel, you know? Like <laughs> Right. It's tough to draw many conclusions. You know it, New York is uh, completing the fourth fewest throws per team, but or per game, but they're throwing it to Ben Yacht and Ryan Osgar and Jeff Babbitt in crowds, and that works right. out really well. You know, it's like, working for them. Yes, Jack, Jack Williams doesn't care about your three defenders. He's going to get the disc anyways. Yeah, and then I think there's also an element with Atlanta, at least, of you know their zone forcing a quick turnover where they don't really have that far to go until the score. So, you know, that's just a, an added element that is going to skew those completion numbers. But yeah, I think the, definitely the, the high completions per game teams, I mean, Minnesota's had over 300 in four of their five games. It's just a, it's a testament to their handling core, I think more often than not, and just how, how reliable and how patient those guys are. And they're both, and both Minnesota and DC are scoring a lot too. So it's like they're taking their time and they're efficient enough with their possessions that they're putting up points. So it's a really, it's a dominant combo. Both five and one. 